Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Are you looking to wager on all the big games in sports? Well, I have great news for you. Our partners at Bet Online continue to get it done as the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting props and futures, from golf, esports, combat sports, to the NFL and Major League Baseball, it's all there. Head on over to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to join and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-50, B-L-E-A-V-50, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Before sunrise, Burn Dairy and Deli is preparing to fuel your day with hot coffee, donuts, muffins, breakfast sandwiches, and other morning staples. For lunch, grab a giant deli sandwich made the way you like it. Pizza, wings, wraps, or a fresh salad. Plus, something to wash it down. Then pick up dinner or a sweet treat and other pantry essentials. Now you can get your Burn Dairy and Deli favorites delivered with DoorDash. All day, every day, you can count on Burn Dairy and Delhi. It's all good. Hi, this is Bob Costas, and you're listening to the ML Sports Platter. The ML Sports Platter back with you. Please download the show, rate and review wherever you get podcasts on your smartphone device, including Apple, Spotify, and elsewhere. We are brought to you by our great friends at Stanley Law Offices, the title sponsor of the program. Stanley Law Offices, together, they'll work to give you the maximum reward. Make sure you visit them online at stanleylawoffices.com. And a huge tip of the cap, thank you as well to Brian Conboy of Mass Mutual New York State, Ken's Auto Detailing, Camillo's Golf Club, and Liverpool Physical Therapy, as well as friends of the platform with their support. Couldn't do this, man. Bob Lindsley, Daryl Abert, the Swan and Whitaker families. Huge thanks to everyone involved. So this is a fun podcast because I got a couple of things going on. One, I wanted to kind of go back a little bit. Uh, didn't have a chance to do this, but, you know, the podcast situation, you know, people listen when they listen, man. It's it's on-demand media, and uh, I did a Remembering Bill Russell uh, thing on a podcast. I've done videos on both he and Vin Scully, but I didn't get a chance to do it in a podcast. So I'm going to do Vin Scully today um, with this one. And then I'm going to play you a crossover episode. As many people know out there who listen and follow me, um, I'm, I'm a big crossover guy. I did this in local radio a lot in Syracuse and Albany, etc. cetera. Uh, but I did a, just a great interview with Sal Marana from the Democrat and Chronicle talking all things Buffalo Bills, roster formation, um, you know, and all that. And, and as you're going to listen to this, it'll be after the Denver Broncos preseason game against the Bills where Josh Allen and a host of others are starting. So just ignore anything if it's not timely and all that. But uh, definitely wanted to play that because Sal really knows his stuff and uh, he's got some things at the end that you should probably jump on board with as well. Vince Scully, 67 seasons calling Major League Baseball games for the Dodgers. Began in 1950. 50, when the franchise was located in Brooklyn and they end, and he ended in 2016. And, you know, his tenure with the Dodgers was the longest of any broadcaster of the single team in professional sports history. I mean, that's all there is to it. And he was second only to Tommy Lasorda in terms of years associated with the Dodgers organization in any capacity. Uh, retired at the age 88, did what he loved right up almost basically till the end. Um, you know, you could say that he was our national soundtrack of baseball, um, but he was also also the soundtrack of baseball in Brooklyn and then later in Los Angeles 
It all started at Fordham University, just a great journalism school. Uh, it's an A10, A10 team. You know, it's not St. Bonnie's, but I can, I can, I can give them a tip of the cap. I mean, the, Michael Caven, Scully, I mean, the list goes on and on with the, uh, you know, amazing broadcasters, you know, who have gone through there. Um, but he made his mark, man. You know, Brooklyn and L.A. I mean, he was the soundtrack for for the Dodgers franchise forever. Um, you know, he was at CBS. He left there. NBC, um, you know, it, it's it's pretty wild, man, when you think about a guy who was a soundtrack and a home broadcaster for a team as long as he was, but yet was also on the national scene. Um, you know, it, it's just unbelievable. In fact, after the National League Championship Series in 1989, uh, Scully uh, had an NBC contract that was up, and he left to focus primarily on his duties with the Dodgers. And then he returned to being the national radio announcer for the World Series. And, you know, the thing with Vin Scully is it's the voice, it's the stories. You can picture the game while you're listening to him. He was that good. And, you know, he's going to be missed, man. I, I think when you put together, when you put together the list of broadcasters, if you want to make, if you're a Mount Rushmore person or not, many people know that I am, you know, listening to me. Um, my guy, Mark Walzik would argue because he thinks that Mount Rushmore's are, have a certain meaning and all that. And I think that the sports ones have the same you know, I think compare, well, definitely a comparison to what the original Mount Rushmore is in our country, but the four heads and and it it goes beyond just, you know, stats, whatever it's like impact, it's era, it's, you know, it's all the things, if you were to make analogies from sports to politics and presidencies and all the rest, it is pretty, it's pretty similar. Right. And so I just think when you look at Vince Scully, I think he's definitely for sure on the baseball Mount Rushmore, and I think he's the greatest baseball broadcaster of all time. Period. End of discussion. I think when you look at the Mount Rushmore of overall play-by-play guys, because there's a lot of people who are like, oh, it's the broadcaster around Mount Rushmore, so you could have talk show hosts and play-by... No, 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 no. Play-by-play guys and talk show hosts, it's not the same role. You know, they might be intertwined, but it's not the same role. And so, Vin Scully made his mark nationally and for the team in Brooklyn and L.A., and I think he's on the Mount Rushmore of play-by-play broadcasters as well. I really do. You could probably at any moment argue for Bob Costas, Mike Tirico, Dick Enberg, Dick Stockton, you know, Red Barber, Sean McDonough, Al Michaels, you know, and these are in no particular order. But I think Vin Scully's the greatest baseball broadcaster of all time, and I think he's on the Mount Rushmore of baseball broadcasters, play-by-play guys with that. Um, and, and I think that he also is on the Mount Rushmore of, of play-by-play guys in any sport. Uh, I would probably put Mike Emmerich on it, honestly, because he's just <laughs> calling hockey <clears throat> and doing what he's done, you know, for his career. Now he's, you know, retired or whatever. Um, it's pretty amazing. Um, you know, when you think about Vince Scully's famous calls, you think about the impossible has happened, Right. And in the 1988 World Series, Game 1 in 1988, um, you just, you can't get enough of this. I mean, I was nine years old. I remember this game like it was yesterday. You talk about a roll of the dice. This is it. And not a bad opening act 
are just two. And on a 3-2 pitch from Eckersley, a hobbled Gibson used all arms to launch a walk-off home run into the right field stands, right? That was what we were thinking of, but how would the call be? High fly ball into right field, Scully said, and then it was rising tone, right? She is gone. And the impossible has happened. Um, you know, in a season that was uh, so improbable, I think it w- was the first part, the impossible has happened. You know, you think about the Sandy Koufax perfect game of 1965 in early September. I mean, people think that might be the best call he's ever had. Um, I think the best call he ever had was Hank Aaron in 1974 with the home run that famously broke broke the, the Babes record of uh, 7-14. Um, just an unbelievable call. One ball and no strikes. Aaron waiting the outfield deep and straight away. Fastball is a high drive into deep left center field. Bill Buckner goes back to the fence. It is gone. And here it is. What a marvelous moment for baseball. What a marvelous moment for Atlanta and the state of Georgia. What a marvelous moment for the country and the world. And here's the best line possibly in broadcast history. A black man is getting a standing ovation in the deep south for breaking the record of an all-time baseball idol. I mean, who does this stuff? Vin Scully, man. And you know what? He he broadcasted the catch too, man. You know, Dwight Clark in the back end zone, right? I mean, he did he did that too. People forget that. You know, the crossover and all the rest. I mean, he's, he's known mostly for, you know, his uh his terrific baseball calls and all that. But man, I'll tell you what, um Vin Scully, he I never met him and you know, I was hoping one year that I'd be able to run into him at Cooperstown. I never did. Uh, you know, the Fernando Mania returns call was absolutely absurd in 1990. Roy Campanella night in 1959 was amazing. Go look these up, man. I mean, these are incredible. Don Larson's perfect game in 1956. I mean, Rick Monday in 1976. I mean, it goes, it's endless. We go to Chicago in 1959, that call, you know. Clayton Kershaw, you know, that was unbelievable. The no-hitter in 2014, that one to be called. You know, you think about the Joe Ferguson throw. You think about the Dodgers hitting four straight homers in the ninth inning. Um, I, I don't know, man. This guy, this guy just put it together, and, and he had the most accomplished resume of any broadcaster ever to live, and we're all going to miss him big time. Mike Lindsley with you here. It is the ML Sports Platter. We are brought to you by our great friends at Maple Down Senior Living Facility, Burn Dairy, Elevate Fitness of Syracuse, and your State Farm agent, Matt Graham. Man, if you're in and around Central New York, go get a free rate quote today from Matt. Home Auto Life Business Health and more from Matt Graham of State Farm, a proud ML Sports Platter sponsor. Coming up right now, we're going to chat with Sal Marana on a crossover episode of the Built-in Buffalo Podcast Network. Sal dives into roster formation, some preseason talk with the Bills and all the rest. This conversation is great. It's the Pandemonium Podcast with Sal Mayorana on the Built-in Buffalo Podcast Network right now. It's your boy DM3, and you're listening to Pandemonium, 
with Mike Lindsley on the Buffalo Bills, exclusively on the Built to Buffalo Podcast Network. What's up, Bills Mafia? Mike Lindsley back with you. It is indeed the Pandemonium Podcast here on the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. Hey, make sure you follow us, subscribe, rate, review uh, to the Podcast Network, to our YouTube page, at Built in Buffalo underscore on Twitter. We have a Facebook page. We have Instagram. All of it is exploding by the day. It is seven days a week of Bills content, audio, video, articles, and everything in between. So make sure that you uh, hop on the train and uh, follow and share uh, as I mentioned, you know, rate, review, and, and, and all that where you can. And uh, just love the fact that we're close to the season. And who better to talk to than the Buffalo Bills insider and beat man for the Rochester Democrat and Chronicle, a good friend of mine. And uh, he's one of the best in the business. You can get him on Twitter, at Sal Marana. And uh, he's uh, a, great, uh, a great writer, and he's got a lot of coverage again here in 2022 on your Buffalo Bills. Sal, welcome. How are you? Good, Mike. How you doing? I'm doing well. How about some takeaways from the Bills-Colts preseason game? What did you see? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's always nice to win. <laughs> One night in a row now in the preseason, not that it means anything. But, you know, there's not a whole lot you take away from a 17-point rally in the fourth quarter when you're going against the Colts, you know, third stringers who are going to be gone. You know, the point I was making on that uh, to other people is that, yeah, I mean, it was it was a good performance by Matt Barkley, but Buffalo's roster, top to bottom, is just better than the Colts. So you would have expected that the Bills' second and third stringers would have, you know, been better than the Colts, and they pulled it out, and it was a nice win for them. Other than that, you know, I mean, Case Keenum played with second stringers, had to go against the Colts' first-string defense for the first quarter, uh, predictably struggled, Um you know, I like what I saw from Clear Secure, the, the rookie wide receiver, had a very nice game. Another guy who played well, again, against second and third stringers was Isaiah Hodgins. But there's a kid that's been around for two years, hasn't been able to get on the field because of injury. Um, injury, and also he had, a, he had a problem last year. I forget exactly what it was. But anyways, he had a real nice game. He caught nine balls. So there were some individual performances. Balin Specter, seventh-round rookie out of Clemson, linebacker, was all over the place. So that was good to see, but really hard to make any judgments on the first preseason game. One thing I find fascinating right now is the slot receiver position, You know how that lines up depth chart-wise, and then also the kick returning duties because we saw a little James Cook there as well. He was a little underwhelming, obviously, in terms of the explosion and some of the things that we saw during training camp when he was in the backfield, but they gave him a little bit of a look. You've got the slot position going on. You know, Jamison Crowder, does he fit in? Does he not? Do they try to trade him? Isaiah McKenzie, you mentioned Shakir. How do you see those two things kind of playing out, the kick returning and the slot? Yeah, it's kind of all hand-in-hand, hand too, because, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think if, if Tavon Austin's going to make the team, and I don't think he's going to, he would have to be the return guy. He would have to win both of those jobs to give the Bills some value, and I don't think it's going to happen. So I think, you, I think you're going to take him out of the mix. I think Shakira's got the team made. He was back deep on a couple of punts, so if he could possibly do both of those duties, obviously it enhances his chances to be more of a contributor early in the year. And then, you know, you, you mentioned James Cook. We'll see. I don't know if they want to put um, a running back back there who they think is going to be a, a useful player on offense. Um, at least as a pass receiver, but they played like, I think they had like five or six guys that were back deep. They have no clue 
who the return band's going to be yet. They really don't have an idea. So that's going to have to play out over these last two games, I think. Uh, but the slot receiver, yeah, that's been the most interesting competition of all of them. Isaiah McKenzie has clearly gone to the top of the heap. He's going to be the guy, I think, in week one. And Crowder was, Crowder was hurt. He missed the first, really the first half of the portion at St. John Fisher. So we haven't really gotten a full look at him. But I, I don't see him beating out Isaiah McKenzie. And you mentioned trade. I, I wrote, I think, last week, yeah, there's, there's a possibility that he doesn't make the team because the way Shakir has come on and played really well, um, Isaiah Hodgins could make the team. There, there's an argument to be made that they might move on from Crowder, and if there's a trade available, that could happen. I, you know, I don't know for sure. I, I, I would tend to want the veteran guy. Um, you know, you've got your first three, but you need depth with this offense because it's a pass-first offense. I would be a little bit skeptical of trading him. But if there's if there's, a, if there's a deal to be made, and you're really that confident in Shakir, maybe that happens. One thing that I have found fascinating, Sal, under the tenure of McDermott and Bean is is the development, you know, of guys in the secondary. I mean, you, you look at the development of Taron Johnson, Cam Lewis, Saran Neal. You've got Dane Jackson. Uh, you know, they pick Kyrie Elam in the first round. You look at Christian Benford already. He's he's making some major waves. What What is the secret sauce, and I know Poyer and Hyde kind of speak for themselves, but what has been the secret sauce of why they can develop and have such good secondary play? And, and, and frankly, in a lot of cases, it's right away. Well, I think at heart, D, uh, McDermott is a DB's coach. That was what he originally was with the Eagles before he became the coordinator. He played DB in college, and then Leslie Frazier was a cornerback in the NFL for the Bears for five or six years. So there's obviously some pedigree. Those two guys know what they're doing with secondary players. So I think that's part of it. But also, they've also drafted, you know, Brandon Bean and his staff have identified some pretty good defensive backs through the years, starting right away. It wasn't Bean, but it was McDermott picking Tredavious White, his very first draft pick. And then since then, you know, Bean and McDermott, you know, picking, picking guys, defensive backs or safeties, that they have identified as, you know, good developmental type guys. Jaquan Johnson, he's been here for four years now, but he's been stuck behind Hyde and Porter. That guy could probably start, I would bet, on half the teams in the NFL if he was given the chance. So they've got some good players back there, and they're going to need them. <laughs> I don't know what, what Tredavious White's status is right now. And, you know, Dane Jackson, we'll see on him. But, you know, starting Elam and Benford the other night, the two rookies, you know, that told me something. That means that those guys are, they are definitely, you know, in the running to be starters on this team. And we'll see as the last, you know, three weeks of preseason and camp play out. But yeah, they've got some nice players back there for sure. Sal Mayor Honor, our guest, Rochester Democrat and Chronicle, Buffalo Bills insider and beat man. Go follow him on Twitter at Sal Mayor You know, uh, Josh Allen, preseason wise, do we, do we see any of him sell maybe one quarter and that's about it? Yeah, I think you'll see him a little bit in that last game. I, I don't think they'll put him out there uh, against the Broncos on Saturday. I think, you know, he has said, too, that, you know, he wants to play. He wants to get in there a at least a little bit and get a feel for it on in an actual, you know, game day setting. So he's not Aaron Rodgers yet <laughs> or Tom Brady. So I think they will play him a little bit, but it'll be, it'll be a little bit because they don't want to risk him getting hurt. So, yeah, I think a little bit in the third game maybe. Okay. The hype and expectations we know are, are 
out of control at this point. At least I think they are. Um, but then the other part of it is that you look at the Bills, and I know it was just an early sample size. I know it's preseason. But you look and you're like, wow, this, this team is really, really good. I mean, they are capable of getting to the top of the mountain. Where are you now with the hype? I know we talked about it a couple months back, but now that we have a preseason game under our belts, you know, we're, we're, we're closer to the season. Where do you land on hype expectation train? Is it still is out of control? Is it not? You know, where, where do you sit there? Well, yeah, I mean, the preseason game has nothing to do with anything. I don't think anybody's even used that as part of the evaluation for this team and the expectations. So, yeah, the expectations are still sky high. You know, a lot of people are talking Super Bowl or bust. I'm not there yet. Right. I mean, the Bills aren't a the Bills aren't a Super Bowl or bust team. The Patriots used to be, you know, back in their dynasty era, but not the Bills. I mean, if they get to the AFC Championship game and lose, it's not a bust of a season. You know, it's part of the development of the team. It would be frustrating as all hell if they don't go all the way this year because they certainly have the roster to do it. But the journey is awfully difficult to get to that, like you said, top of the mountain. So it's not Super Bowl or bust. But, yeah, the expectations are crazy. They should win the division. I don't really see much of a problem with that. And, you know, I they probably, I would think, will be in, in contention for the number one record in the AFC. But there again, like, they've got a hard schedule, man. Uh-huh. I mean, they could be 3-3 three and three yeah. after the first six games. I mean, legitimately could be 3-3. Three and three given how tough their schedule is. So, yeah, the, the, the ex- I saw USA Today had them with a 15-2 and two record. <laughs> that is absolutely absurd. There is no way the Bills are going 15-2. and two. They're a good team, but they're not 15-2. and two. No doubt about it. Uh, training camp, obviously, at St. John Fisher, it was back, and it seemed, you know, like everybody just loved it, had a great time. The players seemed like they were kind of over and above the, the, the usual autograph duty, uh, the stars were, were signing as much as anybody in Von Miller and Allen and Stefan Diggs. Um, what was your camp experience like? What, what did you take out of it? Um, and for you, it was a home game. You didn't have to travel and you didn't have to stay in dorm rooms and make ramen noodles. So that had to be, you know, be nice, right? <laughs> That's the best part for me. Is it, like you said, it's a home game. It's 20 minutes from my house. So yeah. that was very nice. Look, I think the, I think the, um, I think the Bills got a lot out of it. I, you know, McDermott has said over and over and over that he does like to go away. He likes that two and a half weeks where it's all football. They've got those guys on the campus, under their thumb. They're thinking, eating, breathing football for the whole time. No distractions back at home. So I think they're going to keep coming to Fisher. There's no long-term contract in the mix right now, but you know, everyone that I've talked to over there said that, yeah, it's just going to be, you know, as long as Fisher wants us, and they certainly do, um, they'll keep going back as long as McDermott's the coach. So, yeah, it was nice. Um, players really got into it. You're right with the autographs. They were very accommodating with their time. Fans loved it. They had good crowds every day. Um, so, yeah, it was a great experience, and I'm, I'm glad they were back after a two-year hiatus. So, before I let you go, I wanted to have you plug a couple of things, uh, first of which, of course, is people can subscribe right to the Democrat and Chronicle for a really good price right now. Yeah, yeah. If you've got one dollar laying around, you get six months of access to our online. So, yeah, it seems like a pretty good bargain, and you get all my uh, all my bills content. And then if you do subscribe, you get my Bills Blast newsletter, which is new this year, and put about five or six out. So that's an automatic if you if you subscribe. So, yeah, you can go to my Twitter feed, and I've usually been putting links up there, and hopefully we can get some people because 
we need local journalism supported people <laughs> it's more than ever we need local journalism supported so i hope that people would do that and the bills blast will give them a little bit of extra bills coverage and then uh you know you know about my Yankees. oh yeah well i was I was just going to bring that up. Yeah, yeah. I was going to bring that up and have you plug that too. And hey, I was honestly, I was kind of worried when I texted you. I said, "No, oh, I don't know. Should I text him and bother him? He's probably so pissed about the Yankees lately." But um, <laughs> I know that that though has been, you know, increasing with with people, right? The yeah, newsletter? I'm getting yeah. I'm getting people every day. It's been that's been really nice. So all you got to do is go on my Twitter and DM your email address to me, and I'll get you on the list. It's free. And, you know, you've seen it. I, I pump out about 3,000 words for every every series, and it comes out the morning after. And, yeah, the subscriber list has been growing. It's, you know, it's free. I, I wish I could charge for it, but I technically I'm not allowed to because of my newspaper. But um, people are enjoying it, so I think I'm giving them a pretty good, uh, pretty good mouthful of, of commentary on the Yankees. And right now, a lot of swear words in there, too, because it has not been a fun – you know, really, two months, Mike. You and I both know this isn't just the last two weeks. This has been two months yep. of just absolute garbage, mediocre baseball. So, yeah, so there's that. It, but this is the team, I mean, if anybody thought that they were as good as the record, that they were, you know, John Heyman and all these other, oh, the 98 Yank, anybody who compares a team of the last five, six years to a team in the 90s is just out, they're on another planet. These guys have not accomplished anything, you know, it's absurd. So, but I never thought while I was kind of trying to enjoy the ride and all that, I kind of saw this coming. I mean, this is the team I envisioned, you know, getting dinged, starting pitching, terrible, awful holes in the lineup, you know, like the typical Cashman stuff, not calling up prospects. They don't know what to do with the prospects. He had an average trade deadline after he traded Jordan Montgomery. I'm looking at this thing going, this is exactly the team I envisioned and they're going to be out in the playoffs early. Yeah, I feel the same way. I I was never, I mean, 61 and 23 at one point, and that was completely unsustainable. But look at at how they got to that point. Mm -hmm. There were so many nights where they just caught humongous breaks. All those come from behind wins. You just can't keep regularly falling behind and expect you're going to come back. I knew the pitching at some point, especially the bullpen, was going to level out, and it certainly has. And this offense, Mike, nothing is different. This is the same offense and I don't care. I just it drives me nuts when I see all these people talking about their number two in runs and blah blah. They lead the league in home runs. Watch the games, right. and you understand this is not a good offensive team. They have nights where they explode and they inflate all their numbers, and then there's way more nights when they just aren't any good at all. And that's what we're seeing right now is that latter part. They've been horrible. Could not agree more, and with that, we will end it. Sal Marana, Rochester Democrat, and Chronicle the Outstanding Buffalo Bills columnist. Make sure that you go follow him on Twitter, at Sal Marana. Subscribe to the Democrat and Chronicle. Support local journalism, and of course, uh, you can send him, uh, just DM him, uh, and uh, get involved with the Yankee newsletter uh, as well if you want some of that coverage. Uh, Great stuff after every series. Sal, thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk again soon, man. All right, Mike. Take care. Thanks for having me. I want to spend the next... I don't know, 15 minutes or so, uh, chatting about the Colts-Bills preseason game. Um, Listen, I I think the preseason is a little overrated, but I think it's also a little underrated because it's kind of the final step to forming the roster, right? I mean, there there are some things that you look at that are important, and I'm not going to lie. I watched a 
you know, a, a good chunk, you know, I had, you know, family in town, my sister and her son were in town. So it was kind of hard for me to, you know, focus in and dial in and, and, and watch the, you know, the entire game every single minute. But I, I saw quite a bit of the first quarter, um, you know, some of those first drives and, um, you know, and then of course a ton of highlights and read a million articles after the fact, but I was really, I mean, just some takeaways for me, you know, I, I thought that Kyer Elam and Christian Benford, you know, th- those two guys were really, really good. Um, I think the Bills are going to have possibly a really, really good secondary group as time moves on when they get Trey White back, of course, because all that does, it's like in, in baseball. When you have a starting pitcher who's an ace, you know, everybody else kind of fills in the gaps from there, right? You're two, three, four, five. If you don't have an ace, a lot of times you have a three or a two who's an ace by default and shouldn't really be there. And so Trey White's not a corner, and so the Bills are a little thin, you would think. But if Kyrie Elam can come in and play like that, and, you know, just the incredible length and the coverage and the physicality, he wants it every play, you can see that. Um, he's already bought into everything the Bills are doing. Sal brought up great points about McDermott and Frazier with their lineage, um, you know, to the secondary going back years where McDermott coached him, he played it, he... Um, you know, Frazier with the Bears. I I mean, I was just curious to know, like, is there any extra secret sauce? (laughs) Because it seems like these secondary guys come in and it's, it's like instant, you know, and, and it's part of what Bean and McDermott do where they draft and they develop and they keep that that's been kind of the, the, the progression of a lot of their players, right? I mean, you look at Josh Allen, you look at Matt Milano, you look at Taron Johnson, you look at all the other draft picks, you look at Gabe Davis, you look at, um, you know, potentially James Cook. You look at what we've seen out of Devin Singletary now after last year. Uh, Just Dawson Knox, you know, just the development, Deion Dawkins, the development of guys, you know, draft, develop, and keep. And I think the secondary has potential to be really, really good, really, really deep, really, really versatile. And you know what you're going to get with Poyer and Hyde. As long as those guys are healthy, those are major impact players. But the corners... You know, treading water here, kind of trying to stay, you know, stay afloat before Trey gets back. Yeah, they might be okay. They really might be. I mean, if Elam and Dane Jackson and Benford, you know, I mean, Benford was a six-round pick out of Villanova. You know, this is what the NFL does. You know, it, it turns out, you know, really, really good players, you know, late in rounds. And again, I will say it for the hundred thousandth time, it doesn't matter if you went to LSU. Pittsburgh, Florida State, Florida, USC, Texas, Villanova, or Toledo. If you're good, you're good. You know, I mean, that's that's all there is to it. I mean, <laughs> you know, Balder Payton went to Jackson State. Mississippi Valley State was Jerry Rice's school, okay? There are guys from very, very small schools. Fred Jackson went to Coe College. I mean, there are a, a, a million examples of guys who went to small schools. And, you know, look, the NFL... A lot of it is, you know, where are you picked? Christian Benford could not be in a better situation because of the secondary influence with Frazier and McDermott. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's player, it's fit, it's scheme, it's coaching. It's a lot of those things. And I think Benford is literally in the perfect position. You look at the development of Taron Johnson, you know, he just signed the the big deal recently as well. He's going to be a bill for a while. Um, You know, Cam Lewis, Dane Jackson. I mean, these guys... They might be all right. You know, they have a lot of competition there. And then when Trey White gets back, they're going to be even deeper and even better. And listen, if Kyrie Elam can develop, he's probably going to go through some growing pains, especially in the first 
six games of the season. The Bills have a very, very daunting schedule. Um, I think if they can get out of there, maybe like four and two, uh, you get the bye week, then you get the Packers on the Sunday night game. And then after that, they can go on a big time run because you've got a lot of Jets, a lot of Patriots, you've got Lions, you've got Bears, you got some winnable games there. The Bills really need to clean up uh, in that stretch. Um, but if Elam can can play fairly well, keep his head above water, and and get better and progress and progress and progress, you could have a nice little thing going on with Trey White and Kyrie Elam then at the number two when Trey White comes back. I love the competition. I think these guys really, really stood out. Um, you know, you can't really say enough, too, about Boogie Basham um, in this game. I mean, he was really getting around uh, the corner um, and, and was just a, a real, I mean, let's face it, a real problem for the, the Colts' offensive line. I don't care if it was first, second, or third stringers. You know, Basham look, looked really good. Um, I think, you know, one thing, too, is if you look at a unit that has improved the most for the Bills, uh, I, I would have to say that it's the defensive line, right? I mean... It, it was pretty good, not great, because, again, short on the pass rush. We've seen it the last few years. That's probably been, you know, one of the big, if not the biggest weakness for the Bills, you know, getting to the quarterback. That's why they went out and got Von Miller. But you add Daquan Jones. You know, you bring in Tim Settle. Tim Settle was a beast against the Colts. You know, you've got Gregory Rousseau. You've got Boogie Basham. You have A.J. Epinesa. Uh, You know, just so many bodies there, so many guys. Bring back old friends Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson. They have so many guys, they have so many people who can go get the quarterback. And Boogie Basham was, you know, one of those guys. And, you know, he just was all over the place, uh, you know, forcing the turnover there in the second quarter. Uh, Terrell Bernard returned it. Um, you know, he, he was really, really good. He was really, really active. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, the rotation of some of those guys. Um, you know, how often they play, you know, giving Von Miller a rest. Where does Von Miller play? Uh, you can put him on the left, put him on the right. You can kind of mix some things up. Uh, Gregory Rousseau, I think, is going to have a big year. I think the offensive line, you know, is is, is going to come together by the end of the year. Uh, I think that the offensive line actually has a chance to dominate this year. I really do. Um, you know, and the slot receiver position is is quite interesting. I mean, Sal alluded to it in the beginning of the podcast. You know, Jamison Crowder, you know, had missed a bunch of time at Fisher uh, for training camp. He really hasn't gotten a lot of reps in there because of the injury and because other guys are just playing really, really well. I mean, Isaiah McKenzie, I've said it for a while, and I thought he really got a raw deal last year, Sean McDermott. I was not happy when McDermott basically, uh, you know, used him as a scapegoat uh, after a loss and, and, and just kind of threw him in the doghouse. I thought that was completely and utterly unnecessary. I was thrilled when the Bills brought him back. I think the Bills' offense is, is really different when he's in there. I think he brings that spark plug, that energy, the tricky Bills thing, um, you know, the jet sweeps, the energy. People love him in the locker room. Uh, Isaiah McKenzie's good for the Buffalo Bills, and he's playing really, really good football right now, as is the rookie, you know, out of Boise State in Khalil Shakir. I mean, this guy is a speed demon. He was used in the Colts game a lot out on the boundary. Um, really terrific, and I think those two guys are going to be, uh, you know, your one-two punch at the slot. I really do. I think something will happen where Jamison Crowder, um, you know, will either not make the team or maybe the Bills you know, trade him, you know, I don't know. But I, I mean, right now, all signs are pointing towards the slot being between, you know, those two guys. Um, and as far as, you know, the quarterback play, uh, a lot of people are, are just screaming and yelling about, you know, how with Matt Barkley coming in and, 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 and going up against, you know, some Colts, 
you know, third stringers, second, third stringers. Well, it's he, Matt Barkley, are, are we sure he's not going to be that? He's not going to be the backup, okay? He's just not. Case Keenum's the backup. He's going to be in there. He looked a little rough, threw two picks, um, you know, really missed it. I think it was O.J. Howard in the end zone early, uh, which, you know, that's a throw Josh Allen makes in his sleep. But they want Case Keenum there. Um, he's really a guy who people rave about around the league in terms of being a backup quarterback in, in the room and uh, what he delivers, uh, you know, watching film and, and all that. And, and, oh, by the way, <laughs> he's pretty funny. You know, he's, he's, he's one of those guys who keeps things loose. I mean, he was great in training camp going to his teammates undercover trying to get autographs. It was really funny, you know, watching that. But, you know, it, it, it is what it is, as they say. And, and, and you know, you move on and, and he'll just keep getting reps. But he will be, you know, the backup. And, you know, you, you've got an interesting situation, too, with Isaiah Hodgins. You know, you really do. Um, you know, he's making a play for it. Um, Sal alluded to that earlier as well, you know, with, with the injury, uh, multiple injuries and all that. And, and, and he's just he's just been kind of around a couple of years. But impact isn't really felt well now it, it's there I mean he had a great camp and he had a really nice game against the Colts so he is vying for a roster spot um you know I think Raheem Blackshear um looked pretty good I'm not sure he'll make the roster but you know he caught the ball four times for 60 yards um like I mentioned earlier James Cook was kind of underwhelming as far as the backfield goes but he only had he only got three carries um you know and they were using him kind of a mix and kind of some new ideas uh, to see what the kick returning would look like. Um, but I got to say, one thing I expect the Bills to do this year is to utilize a little bit more under Ken Dorsey, as offensive coordinator, a little bit more of the screenplay to running backs. You know, I, I think that could be something that the Bills really implement into the offense this year, especially because you drafted James Cook. And look, I just mentioned the 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 situation with, you know, across the board with, you know, competition and all that at multiple positions. Um, and, and the weakness of course, of the bills, you know, was, was the pass rush. Now going into this season, it appears as though they are, you know, that's the strength of the team. And a lot of it has to do with the depth that they have, you know, after the Von Miller, Gregory Rousseau, et cetera, you know, you've got Ed Oliver, you've got, You've got A.J. Ebenezer, you have Shaq Lawson, defensive tackles, Daquan Jones, Tim Settle, et cetera. What I'm getting at is that now that that has been fixed, at least on paper, we think, I mean, we have to play the games to see if the pass rush is in fact fixed. Um, but all signs indicate that, that it is between the D tackles and the DNs. Now you can look at it and go, well, maybe the, the weakness on the team, and it was arguable between, you know, the defense not getting to the quarterback, right, the pass rush and the Bills not quite having that extra, you know, jet speed, that extra oomph, you know, to be a threat to get to the end zone every single time, some, you know, someone, one or two people touch the ball. Because for as good as Stephon Diggs is, and he can run away, right? I mean, we've seen it. He, he can he can break for big plays, but he's not that, he's not a Tyree Kill in terms of the speed and, and getting to the, you know, bringing it to the house. He's not a Cooper Cup. Um, you know, they're hoping, I think, that James Cook can be that guy. He can be the breakout, you know, touch it and go, get to the end zone type of guy. Um, but we'll see. You know, there's going to be competition in the running back room. There's going to be competition now with kick returning, punt returning, et cetera. You've got the slot competition with Shakir and McKenzie and Crowder. Um, so there's a lot there. And I thought that the Bills, you know, it was a good game. It was a nice, good, entertaining game. They came back. They won. 
And um, those were just some of my thoughts on the Colts and the Bills as we get set for the Broncos game uh, this weekend and seeing if, uh, you know, Josh Allen gets a ride. I don't think he'll play. Uh, I think he'll probably get, I think Sal hit it um, right on the head. I think he'll probably get, you know, a quarter uh, in that final game and then we'll prepare and, and get ready. <laughs> Season's almost here, man. Thanks for listening to the Pandemonium Podcast. Again, many thanks to Sal Marana from the Democrat and Chronicle Buffalo Bills insider and beat man. You can get him on Twitter at Sal Marana. Make sure you subscribe to the DNC as well. It's a pretty darn good deal. You'll get incredible Bills coverage from Sal and the gang over at the DNC. I'm Mike Lindsley. Thanks for listening to this podcast. And of course, download, subscribe, rate, review uh, our podcast network, the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. Get us on YouTube, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, all over the place. And uh, we've got seven days a week, man, going at it, uh, covering the Buffalo Bills, audio, video, articles, and everything in between. So make sure that uh, you hop on board as we get ready for the 2022 campaign. You can hit me on Twitter as well, at Mike L Sports. And as I always tell you, enjoy the games. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.